we have a sure and steady anchor, always faithful, always true. And we get to look to him once again this morning in, uh, through his word. So if you would remain standing for a moment as we look to the word of God and uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and we'll be reading verses 34 to 39 this morning and then be preaching through those verses as we continue on um, with a hard, difficult chapter of scripture. But let's uh, read our text this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Scripture says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the living God. Be blessed and write its truths upon our hearts. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, before his coming to us. Thank you for his perfect life. We could never live for his sacrificial death that gives us forgiveness, pays for our sins, for his glorious resurrection. Lord, I thank you for the life that is in Jesus today. And as we come to this passage, Lord, it's, um, it's challenging. It's going to bring conviction. It's uh, not an easy word to speak, but it's your word. And so it brings life. So I pray today that even as it convicts and cuts, that it would bring life, blessing to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. And uh, I'm getting a, a little echo here. Is that, can you all tweak that a little bit, please? You all hear that echo? Well, that, no? Is it just me? Okay, all right. Yeah, you can just tweak that as I keep going. And if you need me to switch to this one, I'll, I'll switch. But we good? Okay. All right. So again, as I said earlier, this whole chapter is, uh, is challenging. It's tough as we've been going through it. Uh, this one in particular is, is among the, the sayings of Jesus that are listed as the hard sayings of Jesus. There's some things that Jesus said that you would, you know, open up your Hallmark card and find written on it. <laughs> this is not one of them. This is a challenging passage of scripture that, that sometimes you could come to and just get turned off from it if you don't see what's going on. Um, 
in the context of the passage, we see in chapter 10 that Jesus has sent the 12, the 12 disciples who are now sent out as apostles, sent forth with power to, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the, to the lost sheep of, of Israel. And they're sent out, Jesus said, as sheep among wolves. Another way of saying you're going into this hostile territory, a, 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 a world of war and destruction and damage and sin. And, and as you go into that world, it's going to be really difficult. And it's going to be really dangerous. We've seen that already throughout the uh, first few verses of, of chapter 10. So for these disciples, he, who he's primarily talking to, so this is where we have to uh, carefully interpret Scripture because we can't take all of these and just you know, make it fit exactly in our lives, but there's principles here of discipleship that we must take and walk in. And one of the principles that we see here throughout this chapter, and then particularly here in this, in this text this morning, is following Jesus is not only difficult and not only dangerous, but it's also divisive. So not only do disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus need courage to live as sheep in a world full of wolves, but we're also going to need something incredibly important, vitally important. We're going to need love. And in this case, the love that is needed is love for Jesus himself. A love for Jesus Christ that surpasses all other loves. Even those that we hold most dear. Even those on earth that we love the most. Family. Those that are the closest to us. Those for whom we certainly would lay our own lives down for. Jesus said, your love for me must surpass the greatest of any earthly love. We'll find in two points this morning as we look at this supreme love, that point number one, followers of Jesus need supreme love for Jesus because of the spiritual conflict that can divide the homes of Christians. Again, in verse 34, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's challenging to hear. Is he not the Prince of Peace? Is he not the one who has brought peace into this world? Well, the world doesn't understand peace. We have vague notions of peace, but as we see in our news of today, there is not, nor will there be peace on this earth until Christ returns. We have an issue with sin that every one of us has to face, and there is no peace in the heart of sinful humanity. Peace is, it's not an easy thing to come by. Nations make treaties, right? And how long do those last? Yes, certainly Jesus did bring peace. He brought peace between Jew and Gentile. He brought peace among those who have nothing else in common but him. He brings peace to the hearts of those who trust him. He brings ultimate peace to all of his people 
And one day we'll usher in the fullness of that peace with His return. Yes, Jesus Christ did bring peace, but understand the peace that He brings is a peace that required His own death. So there's no utopia to be found on planet death, planet war, planet pain, as long as sin remains. So our mission is not only dangerous, but it's divisive. And it's divisive not just in society, but in this passage we see a hard truth that it can be divisive even in our own homes, among our own families. Most certainly, coming to faith in Jesus Christ can renew a home, and it should. It can renew a home. I've seen a, 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 a wife, for instance, converted to Christianity, come to faith in Christ, her heart completely changed, and then soon afterward, a husband who comes and bows his knee to Jesus, and, and in that conversion, in that great miracle that took place in their hearts in coming to faith in Christ, that house went from the smell of death, of fighting and hatred and disunity and even abuse in circumstances. It went from the, the aroma of death into the aroma of life, a home of love and kindness and consideration and forgiveness, and hospitality, and that's what, what Jesus brings and is able to bring and to transform our hearts. And yet at the same time, I've also seen households literally ripped asunder because of a husband or a wife or a child or a parent who, 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 who comes to Jesus Christ and comes to faith and his family or her family hates the gospel. And does everything in their power to destroy it and to try to banish it from that home. You see, a, I've seen a wife who stands strong in her hate of the gospel. And her husband comes to faith in Christ. And he's, his life has changed. And all of a sudden, he's not doing the things that he once did in the past. And she enjoyed those things and wanted to keep participating in those things. And now things have changed and she's not happy. Certainly it cuts both ways. There is something to the peace of the world, the vague notion of peace that the world has that, that is anti-Christian, how the world views peace. To most people, peace simply means a lack of conflict or a lack of hostility between all people. And the truth is Christianity is not opposed to such peace. But for the Christian, the means of obtaining such peace and the timing of obtaining such total peace is different in the world. True peace between God and man, and also, I'd say, between man and man. True peace in families, as Pastor David just prayed for, comes only through the blood of the cross, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That peace through the blood of Christ, transforms the human heart. It's evident within the church. And eventually, there will be such a peace throughout the earth that even the lions will lie down with lambs. There's a day coming where children will play with cobras. <laughs> There's a day coming 
when Calvinists will hug Arminians. And it's coming one of these days. We're going to enjoy it. <laughs> but that final eschatological peace will only come with the return of Christ. For now, while we walk this earth, those who do not believe in Christ look at the cross not as a bringer of peace, but as a sword. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who said the cross is God's sword on earth. Why? You see, the cross is a sword, and Jesus says, I've come to bring such a sword. The cross is a sword because its message is not a message that insurrectionists want to hear. Cosmic rebels against the holy God and his law. His message is not one that they long to hear. Who wants to hear that he's sinful at the core of his being? Who wants to hear that in Jesus' death, God has opened the gates of freedom and peace for all insurrectionists if they stop their insurrection, if they repent of their sin? Who wants to hear that, that God won't permit such an insurrection to go unchallenged forever, but judgment awaits those, those who won't bow their knee to this peace treaty from the Prince of Peace. To the world, that message is often not a message of, of something to rejoice in, but a message that wants to pick up the sword and fight against. So this is the world that the disciples are being sent out into, and this is the world that we live in even to this day. You will have family issues, challenges, and problems may come into your home because Jesus said, I've not come to bring peace but a sword. He went on in verse 35 and said, For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And these are simply not, not relegated to these particular family relationships. It's symbolic of all family relationships. He sums up his point in verse 36 where Jesus says, And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Before we jump into explaining that a bit more, let me be clear on something. If you come home after being born again, after coming to Jesus Christ and your life has completely changed, and you come home to your dear mother and you tell her, in no uncertain terms, how stupid she is for not believing in Jesus. <laughs> and that you see the light, and she doesn't, and she's a fool for not believing. It's not the cross that is offensive, but you. <laughs> Many Christians today can be needlessly offensive. They commit great blunders. They, they stir up opposition by that offensiveness which might have been avoided by just a little bit of prudence and an exercise of judgment in caring for people. But if your heart has indeed been changed and your actions follow, because family knows us better than anyone, don't they? So I've seen a lot of converts to Christ come to Christ and all of a sudden they run home and they're just like, <laughs> just using their Bibles to just tear their family apart. And I'm not saying you should not open your mouth and speak the word of God to your family. We should. There should be a humility and there should be a, and, and there should be an understanding that they're watching you. Right? 
Some of you might have been in that spot. Maybe you had a family member come to Christ and you weren't a Christian yet, and you're, you're looking out and thinking, oh, yeah, see how long this is going to last. Yeah, we'll see how, how their life really changes. So if our heart has truly been changed, our actions will follow. There will be fruit on the tree. And I believe in time you begin to demonstrate Christian humility and Christian love and Christian boldness. And you witness in your words and your deeds reflect your words to your dear mother. And then, and then if she rejects the gospel, the cross of peace for her has, as Jesus said, become a sort of division between you and her. It's challenging. The message of Jesus, you know, and we saw it reflected in the Sermon on the Mount, how we conduct ourselves as believers and followers in Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus is indeed a message of peace. And yet, since it calls for the individual to have a radical commitment to Jesus himself, can be a message that will divide between those who follow Christ and those who reject him. The division between those two paths, those two roads, explains just how Jesus did not come to bring peace but a sword. The dividing line between those who follow Jesus and those who reject him will run even through the closest of relationships, family. See, the gospel can be an acid that sometimes comes in and dissolves the closest and the best relationships, family relationships. There are times that family can conspire against Christ. There are times that family commitments can seduce believers away from faithfulness to Christ. The times that you're coming to faith and how those events happen. I remember the story I heard of uh, R.C. Sproul who came to faith. He grew up in a church, but it was not a gospel teaching, preaching church. And he went to college and came to true faith in Christ, was converted. And, and he went home and told his family and his parents were deeply offended. What do you mean you're now a Christian? You've been a Christian your whole life. They may not understand. And we must pray for our families. We must understand that Jesus said that even the most intimate relationships can be disrupted. Here to the 12, Jesus lets them know that they're going to encounter persecution as they carry out the mission that he gives them, right? They have power. He's, he's given them delegated power, power over sickness, power over the devil. Cast out demons, power over death, power over uncleanness, and yet at the same time they do not have power to escape or avoid opposition. This persecution would be inherent in the mission. It's unavoidable. But Jesus is even more specific. It's not just persecution. It's persecution from family members. And it's difficult for many of us to understand, some of us have had taste of this, but it's difficult for many of us to understand what Jesus is talking about. You, some of us might have been estranged. 
whether, whether slightly or even deeply estranged from family members because of our Christian faith. They might avoid us, not want to talk to us, don't want us to visit, don't invite you to the family reunion, refuse to invite you to their home. They don't want and they resist greatly any conversation drifting into anything religious in nature. And that, to be clear, that's painful. That hurts. It's real. It's real. It's in the same realm of the persecution that Jesus is talking about here, but I want you to understand what Jesus is talking about goes so much deeper. Because the effects of becoming estranged from family in first century Judaism were far more severe than we face in this nation today. See, the family in the ancient Jewish culture was what gave you your identity. Jews thought of themselves as sons of, right, or daughters of their father and their mother. So we see, for instance, in one of Jesus' disciples, James, the son of Zebedee. That was his identity. That's how he was stamped, and that's how you would distinguish one James from the other James by his family ties. Families also were the, the, the primary and often the sole social welfare network in the ancient days. Under the law of Moses, if a man died without a son, his, his widow didn't turn and apply to some federal program for assistance. There weren't any federal programs. Her brother-in-law or some other relative would, would end up being responsible for taking up her support. Families were often the main mechanism for, for business contacts and personal contacts, and sons would benefit from the reputation of their fathers professionally. Family provided for the future by providing an inheritance. Some ancient cultures, the family actually had responsibility for even carrying out such things as the death penalty in some circumstances. Families literally could put individuals to death. They could sell them into slavery. They could banish them. And this could be done in, in, in Roman families as well. Not only for attacks against other family members, but for economic offenses. Right, such as destroying the, the cornerstone of the family lands, or if you somehow menaced with the future of the family. There was protection from state authorities in this kind of system. Or excuse me, there was no protection because the state itself was a union of families. So what happens when someone in this kind of setting is estranged from your family? It's not just shunned, banned from the family reunion. He loses his identifying name. James, no longer the son of Zebedee. He loses the contacts that he might need to be able to provide for his own family. He loses the safety net that would keep him from poverty if disaster strikes. He loses his inheritance. He loses everything. It wouldn't be strange for a family in those days to even take violence against this man. 
So if you want to imagine what Jesus' disciples might have heard, when they're listening to Jesus encourage them as he's sending them out, they're understanding that they're risking losing their family. If you want to understand that, put yourself in the shoes of, of a Muslim convert in Pakistan or Iraq or Iran. Put yourself in the shoes of someone like that. Because that's what Jesus is telling them to expect. Persecution is inherent in mission because the nature of this mission that Jesus is sending them on is, is a harvest. That's what it is. We saw that in chapter 9, verses 37 to 38. Sending you out into the harvest to, to bring in the harvest. There's this understanding of, 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 of separation, of judgment that's taking place. And as the 12 go out, they're spreading throughout Israel. And what they're doing as they preach the gospel and they're welcomed by some and they're rejected by many is they're separating, if you will, the wheat and the tares. And the sword of Jesus is coming through as the gospel is being preached. And, and it's, it's, it's this symbol of warfare, if you will, that's cutting into even families. It's exactly what Jesus means. Verses 35 and 36, what Jesus is doing is quoting the Old Testament. Imagine finding that again in Matthew. Micah 7, where the prophet describes this time of, of social and political chaos in the people of Israel. And in verses 5 and 6 of Micah 7, it says, Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend, guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. See, at this season of Israel's life, there's these wicked thorns that were dominating the nation of Israel at the time. And God was sending an invader. And, and, and in essence, he's saying, you fellow Jews, you can't even trust your fellow Jews. You can't even trust the, the one laying in your own arms. And Jesus, is in, in, in quoting this, is, is bringing this hard truth to understand and to, to receive that Jesus' ministry, even though it's a ministry of peace, and yet it comes with a sword because it brings a similar crisis. Some family members turn to Jesus and some don't. Later on, when we see the Romans invade, these family divisions become even more intense among the Jews. So Jesus demands something of his disciples. He demands that they cling to him, even if it costs them everything, all security, all affection, and all benefits of family life are to be laid down at the feet of Jesus. <coughs> So we see several various dynamics at work here. But it's important to feel the force of what Jesus says and to understand it here. He doesn't say, he doesn't say that this is an accident. This is not an unfortunate or unintended after effect or byproduct of his mission. He literally says he came 
to do this. He came to bring a sword, not peace. He came to set family members against one another. Amazing thought. He says that he's the one who comes with the sword. Now, the background of what Jesus is saying is help for us, helpful for us to know and understand because these are images from the Old Testament, images from the Psalms, images from the prophets about the Lord himself coming with a sword to Israel. We think about the purpose of his coming. What, what is the purpose of the incarnation? Why the God-man? The purpose of the incarnation is certainly to bring salvation, to bring life, to bring health. But Jesus here in this passage says there's another purpose to the incarnation, which is to bring division and hostility. Now, peace is the ultimate aim, but the way to peace is through suffering, through division, through conflict. Hebrews speaks of the word of God as a sword, a sword that, that cuts between joints and marrow. It's a sword that prepares people for sacrifice, if you will by cutting them up and dividing them in pieces, placing them upon the altar of God. Sword of sacrifice to cut Israel in pieces, to cut families in pieces so that they could be laid on an altar and ascended to the Father, transfigured in smoke and fire. This is the Old Testament imagery. He is the Prince of Peace. But before he brings peace in the in before he brings in the peace of the kingdom, he brings a sword. Hard word to grasp, but vital for us to grasp. So because of this, because of this challenge, these difficulties and these truths, point number two, we must have supreme love, because supreme love for Jesus is not optional, but vital for disciples in a hostile world. He needs to know who's truly His. And those who are truly His will grow in this supreme love, will have this supreme love because the world around them is going to be vicious. So letter A, Jesus wants supreme love over family. Verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is a vitally important truth because do you understand how high the Bible holds up the family as vitally important? This is not a disparagement against the family. The Bible holds up the family high. A necessary and beautiful creation of God. What this speaks of is the love that his followers are to have for him that transcends all of these relationships. Jesus is explaining that the disciple must love and follow Jesus above all else, even our own household. 
We certainly understand and expect that, that normally following Jesus would make us a better husband, a, a better wife, a better father, a better mother, son and daughter, and so forth. But again, there are times when the presence of Jesus will divide rather than unify. And he wants us to, to not make an idol out of the family. One of the greatest gifts and blessings that God gives us is, is the family. And the greatest of idolatries can come from not, not from what is bad, but from what is good. The greatest danger to the best comes from the second best. And he's warning us of this, and he's, he wants our hearts in the right place primarily. Jesus has to do this because of the power of the family. Though we don't like to think about it, Jesus sees that he has to bring a sword against families because oftentimes families can be one of the biggest obstacles to the advancement of the faith. God can use families to advance his kingdom, and he does, mightily and many times. Family is one of the main means that God uses to fill the world with his believers and his worshipers. The, the, the raising and training of children in the household and the, and the teaching of, of children and raising them in the, in the faith is one of the greatest things we could ever see on this planet. The close ties, the emotional bonds, the loyalties of family life, beautiful gifts. But Jesus sends a warning, be careful. Because the greatest gifts can sometimes present the most tremendous obstacles to discipleship. Jesus says, I must come first. The Jews of this day were very protective of family, of blood ties. Of, there were loyalties that ran deep among clans and, and nations. Jesus is telling his twelve, this is an obstacle. To my call. It's an obstacle to my call in the same way that being an Iranian today is an obstacle to Jesus' call. Because if you bow your knee to Christ and follow him as an Iranian, you're risking it all. You'd be in significant danger. So it's simply very difficult to respond to the call when you literally have to give up your whole social world. But if the family is going to flourish, and if Jesus' kingdom is going to advance and be proclaimed, he wants his followers to know that a sword must be brought against families. In this setting... In this context, if a, if a man was not willing to give up everything, his whole familial social network for the sake of Christ, Jesus says, you're not worthy to follow me. Letter B, Jesus says, there should be supreme love for himself over life itself. Over any personal comfort. We see that true love dies. Verse 38, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Following Jesus is a death. 
It's a death to self-will. It's a death that, that says, I desire God's will no matter the cost. And the disciples must follow Jesus even to the place of taking his cross. When a person took up a cross in Jesus' day, it was for one reason and one reason alone. It's to die. The Roman cross did not negotiate. It did not compromise. It didn't make deals. There was no looking back when you took up your cross. Your only hope was resurrection life. They understood what Jesus was saying. And I want you to think about this for a second. Where are we in Matthew? Chapter 10. These disciples hearing this word don't know yet what Jesus is going toward. They don't know that he's going to hang on a cross himself. All they know is that the Romans who are occupying their, 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 their land have, have regularly crucified people. One, one uh, Roman emperor crucified 2,000 men along a road where, where the Jews could see every few steps that they take another prisoner hanging on a cross dead in order to bring fear in, into their lives. The cross was shameful. Shameful enough that no Roman citizen, no matter how vile the crime, was allowed to be crucified. Only the vilest of the vile, the worst of the worst. And a part of the shame that came with a cross was, was taking the cross beam upon your shoulders and being paraded through town to your place of execution. They didn't know Jesus was going there. So Jesus is making a point and he's saying the cross you're to take isn't my cross, it's your own. It's your death. This is the first reference to the cross in Matthew. And significantly, it, it isn't referring to Jesus' own cross, but to the cross of the disciples. Christians have taken these words and often understood this, this thought of cross-bearing and picking up my cross and following it as a, as a general exhortation about suffering. Right? Oh, we're going to take up our cross in the sense that I'm, I have a, a, a debilitating illness. Or I have a stubborn husband. He's my cross. i got to carry. Or a jerk of a boss. Or the heater keeps not working. Or the air conditioning doesn't work. And my car won't start. Oh, i got to carry my cross. <laughs> and listen, those are all real Challenges. I don't want to minimize the importance of that kind of frustration when it comes to our spiritual growth, right? We're tested in all kinds of ways, big and small. And, and the truth is, if we're faithful in those little things, we are being prepared to be faithful in larger things, right? I mean, if we can deal with the frustration of a, of a, of a, of a broken radiator or your computer that crashes, then we're ready to deal with larger ones, <laughs> But that's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's not talking about your virus on your computer. <laughs> in the context, it refers to the threats of, of the mission, and specifically the threat of being cut off from families. And this is linked to Jesus' warnings about persecution we saw verses earlier. 
He's not talking about generic suffering. He's talking about suffering that, that Christians endure as a result of the opposition that comes about when you're on the mission of proclaiming Christ to a dark world. That when people hate us because we go about proclaiming the kingdom of Jesus and healing the sick, raising the dead, this is what he wants the 12 to know. That you're going to face such opposition. And when our own fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and daughters turn against us because we're following Jesus, then we're taking up our cross. Because Jesus himself was opposed by his own. And it's even more specific than that. Jesus doesn't just say that family members will oppose us. He says that they're actually going to deliver us up to death. That our closest friends and family members would be willing to deliver us over to death. That's the cross that Jesus has in mind. So we've got the real possibility of death. The real threat that the families of the twelve will have when they turn them over to Romans for execution. For these twelve, the cross that Jesus warns about is a literal cross cross has become such a common symbol that we, for, we often forget both what it was for and what role it played in Jewish and Roman life. It's akin to us hearing today, take up your electric chair and follow me. Take up your lethal injection and follow me. What would you die for? This is the principle we need to understand today. Do you treasure Christ enough to die for him? We need to, we need to ask ourselves that question because when you know, when you know what you will die for, then you will truly know what you'll actually live for. I've been moved over the past week as we've been praying for the people of Ukraine and the horrible war that is going on there. And yet in the midst of it, I've been moved to watch Ukrainian men bidding goodbye to their wives, to their children, and sending them west while these brave men stay and fight, willing to die. I ask myself, do they not love their families to go with them? And I believe the answer is no, it's precisely because they do love their families that they love some ultimate things more than life itself. We are to have a supreme love for Jesus over everything, over family and over life itself. Let her see those with supreme love for Jesus will actually find life. Here's the beauty. Here's the glory. Here's the joy. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life, Jesus says, for my sake will find it. This, this is a divine paradoxical type of a statement. It's like, how does that work? How do you find life? Lose it. 
How do you live? Die. You see, resurrection life can only come after a disciple takes up his cross to follow Jesus. How is that displayed? Not only in death, not only in martyrdom, but it is, it is displayed in lives of followers of Jesus who say, come what may, I treasure him. Come what may, I'm proclaiming him. I'm not going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to stop following Jesus. No matter the cost. And Jesus assures them that this apparent loss of life is actually the way to life. That the cross is not a path to failure and destruction. It is actually, it's an instrument of death, but in giving ourselves to this death for Jesus' sake, we're actually finding life. You're not losing it. You've gained. You haven't lost. And so specifically by provoking this kind of opposition, he's telling the 12 that that they're going to be serving one of the greatest purposes of the kingdom. In bringing a sword, Jesus is telling the 12 that they're going to be laborers in the harvest, separating the wheat and the tares. As the 12 go out bearing Jesus' authority, carrying on his mission. These 12 minus one, Judas, would carry the word forth. Would go on as they're not just sent out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel in chapter 10, but in chapter 28 they're sent out to the world to proclaim the gospel. Yes, the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace that would get them persecuted killed and yet they knew a joy greater than any Why? because they understood true treasure because they understood as they would learn later in Matthew chapter 13 that they had found this hidden treasure and they went and they sold everything they had so they could buy the field that the treasure was hidden in. They gave it all so they could gain it all. They understood Jesus Christ. Following Jesus would be dangerous and divisive, but he is worth giving our very lives. He's worth it all. The biggest losers are the biggest gainers in the kingdom. They knew that and understood that. When we read this passage, it doesn't doesn't sound like the ministry of the Prince of Peace. We hear these words. It's hard for us to, to, but but realize this. His aim, Jesus' goal in saying this is not peace with unbelief and disobedience. Those are the enemies that must be destroyed, lest they destroy So Jesus comes and gives this hard word. How is it to be received? It's to be received by the humble, received by the teachable, received by the broken and submissive, those who would hear the voice of strength and truth and righteousness and love, and their hearts will burn within them, and they will not be offended. They will actually take heart That at last, 
At last, someone sees the severity of the human condition. Someone knows the enemy, and someone will not compromise. Someone actually speaks like a conquering king, like a great savior. And this is Jesus. And those who here treasure him and follow him and are triumphant. May the Lord bring our hearts to treasure him greater than family, greater than life itself. Have the team come as we prepare to worship in song and communion as we pray. Lord God, we come to you today once again thankful for Jesus and even thankful for the hard words that he speaks, words of truth, words that cut and words that heal. I pray, O oh God, that you do the work in our hearts to increase our faith, to bring a supreme love for Jesus in spite of family divisions and the spiritual conflict that may come into our family lives and in spite of the hostility of the world that we love you above all else because you are better. You're a greater treasure than any other thing including the best of your gifts. So help us today to grasp that. Make our hearts understand believe these truths. In Jesus' name we pray.